And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Tuesday afternoon from sunny Los Angeles, California. We're about two weeks away from media days and training camps. The NBA season is starting back up. We're going to start to preview it properly. We'll have Andrew Lopez on to talk Pelicans and Spurs and Zion and Wemby. But first, ESPN insider, guru, Kevin Pelton. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're almost there. It doesn't feel like that long ago that the Denver Nuggets won the NBA title, but we are almost to a new season. And I am at work on one of my annual preseason columns where I pick my five most intriguing players coming into the season. My general rules are no superstars. With some, ex- I, I allow a little bit of leeway, a little bit of leeway. There, there were two stars, superstars on my long list of candidates for the five spots. No first or second year players were all intrigued by those types of players. And then I was like, you know what, who would be good for this? Who I think would dive deep into maybe rosters that most people wouldn't dive deep into Kevin Pelton. So I asked you to pick your three, just three most intriguing players. I gave you total flexibility to do it. I'm interested to hear the results and I will let you cook. Maybe you're going to be disappointed that I didn't end up taking Kata Bates Diop despite giving giving him strong consideration here. But he's not that he's only intriguing because he might be the fifth starter on a on a good team, right? Like that's we kind of know that's, what that's he, intriguing, though. Yeah, he's situationally intriguing. I, I don't expect a like a, a completely no. re, a complete reinvention of his game. All right, so give me I don't know if you ranked them, but give me the one you want to talk about first. All right, the one who was at the top of my list and who I most suspected would be on your list is Josh Giddy. He is one of my final five for go. the column. Uh, I am hoping to interview him shortly. I've watched a lot of film on Josh Giddy, uh, a lot of Josh Giddy pick and rolls and drives and some defense. Um, I am interested to hear why you picked Josh Giddy and your takeaways. Yeah, I mean, I think this could potentially apply to Lou Dort as well. There's you know, some sort of winnowing is going to happen in Oklahoma City with all the talent that they're going to be able to add going forward, you know, via the draft picks they still have coming, uh, whether it's parlaying those into trade, you know, trading for an established player or continuing to draft players, the fact that they'll have cap space next summer, all of these things, they're going to have a lot of options. And some of the guys who are part of the core, the the core four that they had last year that Chet Holmgren joins this season are probably not going to end up long-term starters for them. And I think Giddy is probably the most interesting of that group because I think there's a chance he's really terrific, but also a chance again that, you know, maybe long-term he ends up their sixth man. Um, Why this? Uh, so sixth man is an interesting way to put it. Sixth man or out of Oklahoma City. I had this conversation with Andrew Schlecht before, uh, sometime in July before I left for vacation. And we talked about, a, the talent crunch and payroll crunch that's coming for the Thunder no matter what. They're just not going to be able, be able to pay all these guys what they're going to be worth. It's happening. Every young team is going to face this in the new CBA. You just can't – you're just not going to be able to functionally do it. Plus, they just have literally too many draft picks, which is why almost every draft they're trading two for one, three for one to move up and draft your Usman Jangs, and they just move, – uh, they moved up again this year uh, to get Kaysan Wallace and – uh, the Pokushevsky is the most famous example of them trading a bunch of picks. They did the reverse in trading out of drafting Alper and Shengun. Um, and I asked Andrew, I was like, you know, when I envision what of what the Oklahoma City consolidation trade looks like, 
why does my brain keep coming back to Giddy as as the one of this young core that would have to go? Not would have to go, but that might go. Because I like Josh Giddy. I think he's super interesting. And I think the simplest way to put it is it's always it's always a little dicey to to project how does um how does a guy who needs the ball but has a shaky jump shot uh fit into a great team as a number two number three option how does that work how does that look and andrew's response was i think it's too early i think the thunder view giddy as a cornerstone player because they want to play with pace they want to rebound and run they want decision makers all over the floor and he is skilled enough big enough and the size is critical he's huge for a ball handler and smart enough to make up for his shaky jump shot by screening cutting decision making and he does have all of these little wrinkles to his game where despite the fact that everyone's going to go under screens against him despite the fact that everyone's going to ignore him off the ball he has these little tricks just to just to pry open extra little feet of space that he can then eat up off the dribble and and make shots. He's a good fake handoff guy. Um, he just keeps keeps defenses off balance. But I still keep coming back to him. So so elaborate a bit on the sixth man, you know, vision that you mentioned. Yeah, and I think this is runs along the lines of why you kind of focused on him. You look at last season per cleaning gl- the glass, their offensive rating when they had SGA and Giddy on the court together. 115.1 solid very good when it was just giddy 108.4 not great when it was just sga 121.4 so some of this is some overlap with lou dort and the fact that you have two shaky shooters you know one of them much more frequent than the other in the starting five alongside shea but what what it does say is shea plus shooting is almost unstoppable offensively and I expect Shea to make another step this year. I think he's got more to his game. I know he's first team all NBA, so that and I think fifth in MVP voting. Um, so that sounds outlandish. I just have been so impressed. I've mentioned it before. I've been so impressed with Shea. Um yeah, you know, I don't I don't know how much to read into those numbers because the roster is so young and wasn't all that deep last year, but um you know, Giddy is just he's he's really good. I mean, he's really good. He's really smart. Um, he's smart about rejecting picks and keeping his defender leaning the wrong way and then opening up that little alleyway, just little extra bits of space. If you go under, he can kind of beat you to the spot behind the screen. And if he gets to within 12 feet, he's just kind of going to bruise and bully his way and shoot floaters over smaller defenders. To me, when I dove into the film on him, the biggest, ch- not the biggest challenge, but I think a challenge the Thunder are going to face when he's handling the ball is when teams switch pick and rolls against him and Chet Holmgren or him and big Jalen Williams and just say, we don't think you can beat our big guy defender one-on-one Josh Giddy because he's just going to lay off you and you're going to have to either shoot jumpers or drive right into him. And we don't think Chet Holmgren or big Jalen Williams are going to bully our small guys because they're not really post-up types. And obviously it was Shea. You switch a big guy onto him, he's going to cook you, and it's going to be barbecue chicken. Um, and then if Shea has the ball, you just have the sort of endless dilemma of, like, what is Josh Giddy doing? If he's just standing around the perimeter, that's not very useful. Last year, their solution was often have him set screens for SGA 
and space their big men out as shooters and let him or even Dort be the roller. And the bet on Josh Giddy is that, yeah, Shea's going to be our number one option. There's no question about that. That means when you're both in the game, we're going to have to find a way to have a non-shooter. And I'm not going to brand him as like a permanent non-shooter. But for now, for simplicity's sake, let's classify him as that. We're going to have a non-shooter surrounding Shea. And we're betting that guy is good enough, skilled enough, smart enough, cagey enough to make it work on offense. Uh, He's a good offensive rebounder and good enough on the glass and as a defender on the other end to make it worth our while. I think it's one of the most interesting bets in the NBA. Yeah, and let me I I started with the negative case here, but there's plenty of positive case for why, you know, this could be a breakthrough season for Giddy where he does establish himself is, you know, the number 2 or number 3 guy in that OKC pecking order. I mean, first off, let's start with he won't turn 21 until next month. He's wow. a month older than Brandon Miller, who was just drafted number two. He's five months younger than Chet, who's going to be a rookie this season, was drafted a year after. Uh, I thought the floater mention is interesting because one of the things that stood out to me in terms of his improvement from year one to year two, 38% of his shot attempts in year two were in the restricted area, up from 27% as a rookie. So that's big and a big factor in his two-point percentage improving. Yeah, he gets to the rim a lot. He's not a great finisher. He's just okay, but he gets there. And part of the reason he's not a great finisher is a lot of the times he's getting there by just kind of bowling through his guy. So he doesn't have like a clear runway to the rim. It's cluttered. He's stumbling. The other guy's stumbling. It's not like a clean release, but he gets to the rim a lot. And then the other piece of it is, you know, I think this is to to Andrew's point, like it's too early to say he's for sure a non-shooter, you know, for especially sure. working with Chimp England after he joined the Thunder last year, uh, his three-point percentage overall up from 26% to 32.5%. But if you dig down to catch and shoots, according to second spectrum, he was only 24% as a rookie, 34% last season. So, you know, that's still significantly below average, but that's trending towards competent like you you're good enough to make teams pay if they're going to leave you wide open yeah he's not afraid to shoot threes and there were there were a couple big games late in the season remember the thunder needed to win like most of their games down the stretch to get into the play-in where teams dared there was one against the warriors i remember vividly where he shot a lot of threes and like made made enough to keep them honest so i totally agree with you like competency is is easily achievable down the line if he becomes a guy that is included in theoretical trades let's say the same issues apply to teams that are trying to figure out is he a guy we really want to covet and build our team around because we're going to see it with scotty barnes um you know those big point guards who need the ball but have shaky jump shots or are non-shooters it's just it's you got to decide can we go as far as we want to go with that guy as the number one option because if we shift our offense and build around somebody else it's, it's going to be hard to finagle that. And, like, he's just not as forceful as – I mean, I, who who would you comp him to? Who's a Josh Giddy comp? Yeah, you know, when you mentioned that about Scotty Barnes or his role as a, on a different team, I, I started thinking about it. I don't have anyone off the top of my head. It's it's I thought about it a lot. It's hard to find a comp for him because when you think of, like, Ben Simmons or even, like, a young Giannis, like, they're just so much more – they're bigger and more forceful and stronger, more explosive than he is. He's got some stuff that they didn't have, but, like, it's it's hard to find a great comp for him. Yeah. I mean, the other thing to your point about, you know, projecting him into that lead role, 
we did sort of see that with Australia during the World Cup where, you know, he averaged 19.4 points in 27.6 minutes per game, 33% usage rate. So I I didn't see any of that and how it was actually coming, but you know, that that I think was encouraging in its own right. Yeah, I think he's just super talented and um I think he's just going to find ways to like outplay expectations in the next couple of years and make this a really really interesting not dilemma, but just sort of situation for the Thunder because I think he's going to be really, really good. But I, I am intrigued by how he how he looks this season, and for a team that has Chet Holmgren back and has legitimate aspirations to make the postseason and is just loaded with talent up and down the roster. Any other uh, Josh Giddy thoughts? That's all I had. Uh, give me another guy. Give me guy number two. See if we see if we go. I I, I doubt we're going to go three for three and overlap for my final five choices. Uh, but I'm interested to see how close we get. Yeah, I think this. I think we're going to diverge from here. We'll see. But number two on my list, like Giddy, I think is interesting. I guess the summation is because it does matter for this season in terms of you know can Oklahoma City take another step forward after getting into the play in last year. But it also matters long term. This one, you know, is intensely short term focused. And that's Christoph Porzingis on the Celtics, I think is the single most fascinating team fit in the NBA. Like, you know, completely reorient orient your roster by tra- trading, you know, a, a 6'2", 6'3", guard for a 7'3", big man that suddenly a lot of your, you know, playing time, a lot of your, it's not necessarily money because of the fact that Al Horford isn't making that much on this extension, but, you know, still a decent amount of money is tied up in three guys who have often played center. And, you know, I think the theoretical case for it is kind of fascinating because I think one thing we saw with the Nuggets last year is a f- kind of an underrated element of their championship formula was basketball success at its simplest is like, how much size can you put out there without sacrificing shooting? And so if you were to graph those two things, you know, the amount of size on the court and the amount of shooting, the Nuggets starting five, you know, ranked extremely high in both categories. Boston ranked really low in terms of size with many of their best lineups, which, you know, was often Jason Tatum at the four and, and Al Horford at the five. Uh, Joe Mazzulla liked only playing one of those two big men with Williams and Horford together last season. So going flipping smart for Porzingis, you've upgraded both your shooting and added more size. I think that's got to be kind of their logic for it, but it's all still a fascinating fit to see how it actually works. Yeah, skilled size has always been the end game of roster building. It's not small ball, it's skill ball. And I'm assuming the Celtics starting five will be white, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Porzingis, I, I, which leaves Robert Williams coming off the bench. And maybe they don't go that way. Maybe they go another way. But I just think if you're going to extend Porzingis for all the money they extended him for after acquiring him, you're not doing that for him to come off the bench and have his shooting come off the bench. And then Horford is sort of just the unselfish connector, defense first, whatever type. Um, that lineup is enormous. I mean, absolutely enormous. You know, every time I talk to somebody about the Celtics and the, the smart Porzingis trade, not every time, but most times, I say some version of like, I just, I have, it just makes me a little bit nervous, this, this sort of, reinvention and relying on a guy who doesn't have much experience in big games. I'm not, I don't know how much stock to put in his gigantic year in Washington for a team that was playing with no stakes and, and not a ton of talent around him and he could do whatever he wanted, but defensively he was very good. 
offensively, I think his decision-making, um, which really began in Dallas, like he would run an occasional like give and go kind of play with Luca where he'd be like, Whoa, he, he the, the passing is coming along. And just when the wizards would give him the ball at the nail, it wasn't always let me just jab, step, jab, step, jab, step and launch along too. Sometimes he would grab and go real fast and drive to the rim and make the right pass off of that. Um, but I, I always, I'm just a little queasy. It makes me a little queasy because they got to have a totally new, not totally new, but revamped defensive scheme. You know, you're not going to be able to switch as much. You're going to have to play double big lineups more. A lot of these guys are older and or injury prone between Horford, Porzingis, Robert Williams, who's always injured with something, and Brogdon, who they tried to trade. And Gary Washburn reported earlier this week, I think, that he's still angry that they tried to trade him or almost traded him or included him in trade talks, whatever phrasing you want to use. And then their depth beyond that is interesting in the absence of Grant Williams, who was a huge part of their, well, he, actually he wasn't a huge part of their team. Joe Chilton's a little like banished him <laughs> inexplicably for huge parts of the season. Um, you know, they're going to rely on guys like Peyton Pritchard and Sam Hauser and O'Shea Brissett. Like those guys are going to have to play. And then the executive or coach I'm talking to usually says like, yeah, I agree with you. You know, I, I get why you're feeling that way. And then both of us do the, butt, and the, butt is these guys are really, really smart. And the moves they make tend to work out. And I, I, what? So what? What does it look like to you if this works out? Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting because you mentioned kind of the defensive element of changing the way they play in, in terms of not switchy as much. And you know, look at the second spectrum data on switches. None of the Celtics regulars switched as infrequently as Porzingis did in Washington last season. You know, not even Luke Cornett when when he was on the court. So. Well, but they can't switch. They can't switch Luke Cornett because they have to have him do the Luke Cornett jumping <laughs> well, jack from well, you know ten else? feet away from the rim. You know who adopted the Cornett contest or the eclipse or whatever you want to call it is, is Porzingis in D.C. at the best of uh, uh, now now departed Dean Oliver as part of their coaching staff. So, but offensively, it's a different style too because you know one of the things that's changed for Porzingis over the last few years here, and particularly last year as part of this career year in Washington, is. You go back to 2019-20 and there was the whole hullabaloo, you know, on inside the NBA over why isn't Kristaps Porzingis posting up? He's seven foot three. And at that point, it made sense because as Rick Carlisle explained, like Porzingis post-ups were not that effective in Dallas. He was much more valuable to them spacing the floor for Luka Doncic. But all of a sudden last year, he was fourth, according to Second Spectrum, in points per direct post up, you know, when he either shot or passed to someone who shot or, or, you know, one of them turned it over. All of a sudden, that's a huge weapon. And that's something that Boston did not do at all. According to Second Spectrum, no Celtics player had even 100 post ups last season. He had 263. Yeah, the Celtics, you know, their offense. If there was something that let them down, it was it was always their late game offense. I mean, defensively, they slipped a little bit um, this past season, and particularly in the playoffs, had a number of games where you just wondered where that identity was defensively. But offensively, it was always a late game slog or often a late game slog. And just generally, they have not been a high free throw team. They've been a, just a very perimeter oriented team, and you can still get to the rim with great spacing like that, that's kind of the point of great spacing is to open up those alleyways to the rim, but they never really did. And you just, I get why they said we need to try something else. And part of that is getting bigger and adding this post-up option. I just, I'm not, we'll see if he can replicate those, those kind of numbers. Cause he was, I mean, look, if he can shoot over guys, he's going to make a lot of shots and 
as I said before, his his aggression and decision making, I thought, were a little better. Um, I think the East is I, I don't I don't you only answer this question if you want to answer this question. If you had to pick a team today to win the East, who would you pick? It would be the Celtics. Still the Celtics. Yeah. It would I mean the answer is as it was when we answered the discussed this question about the West most of last season, like the field is the answer. But if you're picking an A team, it's the Celtics. I legitimately don't know who I would pick. I I, I maybe I would pick the Celtics by default because I'm worried about just how this year is gonna feel for the Bucks now. The Sixers are like Rah. Miami. I mean, it's astonishing how few people would say Miami. I bet if you pulled a hundred, a hundred NBA media members, what is that? If Miami gets Dame, and let's say the price is kind of what it's been reported to perhaps be in the end, does that does that change your answer? I don't think it changes my answer. It definitely increases Miami's spot in that pecking order. I mean, I just you know I don't think they're as good as last season without Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. So I keep saying this. The East feels, and maybe in two months, this will just be nonsense. Like James Harden will be back and playing well, and the Celtics will look awesome. Milwaukee will be totally fine. And like, who cares what Giannis said two months ago? They'll be 23 and four. It just feels a little more unstable at the top than it did last year when we had these three teams penciled in and it didn't, it didn't end that way. Um, so, so it, it, it feels like if we woke up, in the conference finals in like New York or Cleveland or team X was one of the two teams in it. I'm not sure I'm going to pick that, but like right now I wouldn't be surprised. But again, in two months that could all look, that could all look stupid. I guess I just kind of, kind of, I'm just very, I like the Porzingis pick. I didn't have him on my long list, but I, I think that's a good pick. Any, mm-hmm. any parting East thoughts, Celtics thoughts, go ahead. Well, one more thing on Porzingis is, and this case became a lot tougher to make when he had to miss the World Cup due to plantar fasciitis, and we'll see whether he is in fact cleared for the start of training camp, as the Celtics said was expected back then. I think people kind of missed that he was, you know, by modern NBA standards, reasonably durable last year. You know, 65 games were the most since his second season, and of the 17 he missed, nine of them were due to illness, including the last six games of the season with the Wizards season long over. So it wasn't, you know, that he was, again, knock on wood, missing a lot of time with a variety of physical ailments. Yeah, he had a case of the Wizards, I guess, late in the season, a case of the case of the Wiz. Um, that, that, that may be contagious. Uh, give me your third guy. My third guy is a little bit different Uh, I don't know that it's actually going to matter that much for this season, but this is more of a long-term. And, you know, I think it was kind of fascinating the response when Matt Moore left him out of his top 100 players. But I feel like people have forgotten how good LaMelo Ball is because of the fact, or or at least could be, because of the fact that last year was such a lost season for him individually due to injuries and the Hornets collectively due to those injuries and Miles Bridges' absence. So perhaps to the disillusionment of the editors, LaMelo Ball is probably not going to be one of my final five picks, but he's on my long and medium list. I think this is a great pick. Um, I, I, I'm I, just going to let you have the floor. Tell me why you're picking it. All right. Well, to the same line is we went with Getty. LaMelo just turned 22. He's younger than five players who were drafted in the first round this June, and it just feels like he's been around forever. 
There are 12 players in NBA history who have been an all-star before age 21, and you can describe all of them with one name. Moses, Magic, Isaiah, Shaq, KG, Kobe, LeBron, Kyrie, AD, Luka, Zion, and LaMelo is the 12th. So, you know, health permitting with some of the current guys, the Hall of Fame has been a lock if you have made the all-star game by age 21. And he was third youngest or fourth youngest of that group. It's Kobe, Moses, and LeBron. The three high schoolers are the only ones who made it younger than he did. And I think, you know, to to my point to start this, there's kind of this sense that, oh, he got there by compiling a bunch of empty stats in his second season. And I think people have forgotten, like the Hornets weren't bad in 2021-22. Their offense ranked in the 78th percentile, according to Queen and the Glass, when he, he was on the court. They were plus 2.1 points per 100 possessions. Like this was a very competitive team. And the one fascinating thing that I hadn't realized until I looked this up, 98% of his minutes that season were played with Miles Bridges. They were solid that season until the play-in tournament, which is became an annual thing for Charlotte under James Borrego. They were good, and then the play-in tournament would come, and they would lose by a million points. Um, he I, Maybe I'll put him in the column because last season, he missed most of the season with ankle issues. The team was bad. We didn't really get to see how he and Steve Clifford, who would not seem to be a stylistic match made in heaven, um, but Steve Clifford in particular, I think is more adaptable than people give him credit for. That team was solid. And you look at this team this year. I mean, if I had to take a stab at their starting five, LaMelo, Rogier, Bridges, probably Hayward. At the three and the four, I mean, I, then I have P.J. Washington, who they just re-signed on a great deal for the Hornets. I mean, it's the restricted free agency just stinks for players. It just absolutely stinks. Um, that would leave him coming off the bench. Center, I don't know. Pick your young center. It, Mark Williams, who was electrifying last year in his limited minutes. Nick Richards, who may be a more stable, safer answer. Like, that's not a – that's we, we not – we know who Kai Jones thinks should be the starting set. So I missed the whole Kai Jones um, social media uh, eruption. What exactly? Can you fill me in on what exactly happened? I it, like people were like he might have been a little incoherent at times or something. I mean, I only saw this secondhand in the aggregation by uh, our, my friend Dan Feldman for the Dunked On newsletter. But uh, you know, he said it basically talked about how much more skilled he is than Mark Williams and Nick Richards. Uh, in, oh, he name checked them. Oh, he did. Oh, yeah. That's not going to go over well in the locker room, I would venture to guess. <laughs> or in the coach's office, probably. I will say, when Kai Jones gets on the floor, and we haven't even mentioned Brandon Miller, maybe Brandon Miller starts right away, and yeah. at, at the, and Bridges starts at the three, and, and, and Brandon Miller at the four, flip him around defensively, whatever you think is best. Um, whenever Kai Jones gets on the floor, I remember – I was at a Clippers Hornets game last year, and I I whispered to someone on the Clippers, "If that dude with the, with the blue hair gets in the game, because people who aren't really following the Hornets don't know who he is, you can't take your eyes off of him. Like it is just one. The level of freneticism is almost un, like you never know what Kai Jones is going to do for better or worse, or just it's in the athletically he's off the charts. But you know, JT Thor is an interesting player. Player." Um, Cody Martin is still around. Uh, I, I thought he he kind of disappointed last year. You stagger Lamelo and Rozier, so one is always on the floor. 
This is like a not. This is a decent team. I don't know what their over under is. I suspect it's low thirties. I, I might take the over on them after really hammering the under theoretically last year. I just think I I've said this before. I didn't like the way Lamelo played in his brief action last year. I thought he he morphed into a little bit too much of a chucker. His game was a little too loose. Um, I I keep rattling off this stat about I think he was one of only two guys in the league or maybe the only guy in the league who had, I might get it wrong off the top, but it's like more than 20 field goal attempts per 36 minutes and less than three free throw attempts per 36 minutes, which to me is indicative of a guy who's just throwing up jump shots. Um, His rim finishing has only been so-so, but there are not very many humans who are this tall and have this level of vision and creativity one of the five to 10 most creative, brilliant passers in the NBA and can shoot threes off the dribble at a high level to the point that I will out myself two seasons ago before 21, 22, we had a segment on NBA today where four of us had to pick. You get to build your team around LaMelo ball or John Moran. Who do you pick? And I think it was two, two. And I picked LaMelo ball. And my reasoning was, I love Ja, that this is two years ago. I love Ja. I love what he stands for as a teammate. I love the way he plays. I could look really stupid for picking LaMelo Ball. But I'm just going to bet on size plus passing plus shooting every time. And I think he kind of became a little bit of a carnival act last year when he played. I almost don't blame him because there were no stakes to their season. Now there are stakes. There's talent around him. There's another tentpole young player around him. I think this is a home run pick. I mean, I think that's that nailed it. Like his usage has gone up every season, was 30% last season. Uh, I don't think you want it there long term. Like he's he's better as a distributor than he is as a scorer in his own right, even though you know his ability to score helps facilitate the the, the playmaking element of it. And look, you know, Lamelo has not been very good defensively. That was, I think, the empty stats element of those James Borrego teams is you know, how much they gave up at the other end of the court. They didn't necessarily slow down a lot se- lot last season with Steve Clifford, but, you know, if they can marry the offense of 2021-22 with, you know, even approaching league average defense, that, you know, that's going to be a, a really interesting team, and Lumelo is going to have to be a big part of that in terms of accepting the challenge of the defensive end. I think they're a, a, an interesting team. We mentioned the centers, the two young centers, they used to play P.J. Washington at center quite a bit. Steve Clifford went away from that last year. It doesn't kind of fit his M.O. Um, they also have these veterans like Rogier and Hayward. You know, if the season goes the other way, do they look to move those guys, you know, for for younger talent is, is an interesting – or picks is an interesting question. They owe their pick um, to San Antonio via the Hawks. Um uh, top 14 protected this year. So probably the Spurs shouldn't, maybe you never, you never know. That could be an interesting pick to take a look at. Um, I just think if, if they can, I mean, he's still so young. I, 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 I love, I love it. I love the pick. I, and I agree with you. I think people just kind of forgot what he can do. 
Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Can I go through some of my long? I'm not going to reveal my short list, but I'm going to I'm going to name I'll name like ten guys. You pick pick one or two you want to talk about. Okay. Devin Vassell. Interesting. He was not. I mean, I guess I had I listed Sohan, but he doesn't fit your second year role. I feel Emmanuel. like Vassell kind of is who he is, but ooh, I mean, not in a negative way. Just like I don't know that I have a lot of intrigue. I I think he's very good. Emmanuel quickly. Yeah. Fascinating I kind of wanted the, the extension extension season for him. I'm not going to spoil the column because he's going to make it like what happened in the playoffs. Just, just didn't, didn't translate. I'll tell you the one star, the other star besides LaMelo and by star, I mean like proven all-star has been in the all NBA conversation. Some of these other guys, like I have Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley. I think both of those guys are going to be stars. They're intriguing for obvious reasons, you know, um, Cade after missing most of last season Mobley can they ever play him at the five how does he respond to last season's playoff collapse when he and Jared Allen just couldn't get it together offensively can he make enough corner threes yada 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 the one superstar ish player I had was Trey Young I, I and and I don't even know why I just feel like full year of Quinn Snyder year two of DeJounte Murray a pretty like deep roster uh a, a disappointing fall off from the conference finals of two years ago. I, I feel like it's not a prove it year for Trey Young because he's proven a lot. It's it, it's almost like a prove it year for this construct of the Atlanta Hawks to me. Like I, I think they're I'm higher on them than most. I already have my bet with Tim Bontemps that they're going to finish top five in the East or else I owe him a hundred bucks. I think, um, any thoughts on Trey Young and the Hawks? You're, you're, do you think I'm going to lose that bet? And look, on paper, I should definitely lose that bet. We named Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, um, uh, New York, Cleveland. Like, I should definitely lose that bet. 
Yeah, I would I would want Tim's side of that bet, safe to say. No, I I thought about Jung for kind of the same reasons. I, I thought you were gonna have Carl Anthony Towns on your list for for somewhat similar reasons, but you know, we're we we've never seen the Trey Young 21 playoff run from Towns. Good, that's a good one. He's not on my list. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um this might be a little too obvious. Jordan Poole? Was, or, was on my you, long list. Okay. I I can't believe neither of us got to this one. Maybe it's too obvious. Tyrese Maxey. I, I kind of thought he might be on your list. And that was part of why I didn't pick him. So, yeah, no, I, I think there's a, the kind of, Maxey's a little more point guard, but we talked about this group the last time I was on in the context of the Dame trade. Maxey, Hero, Jordan Poole, the way that Hero and Jordan Poole's you know, value around the league seemed to decline rather precipitously after they signed extensions. Maxi and Quickly are the guys who are, you know, in that, oh, great, these, you know, they're on their rookie deals, they're incredible values. They look a little different in a year if and it doesn't look like that extension is forthcoming for Maxi, but when the when the price tag changes. I'm just in a world where Harden in a world where Harden is either traded and they don't immediately receive another big-time ball handler, either directly or indirectly from that trade, in a world where Harden is just benched, let's say, in those worlds where it doesn't, the, reu- the, the, the they are not reunited and everything's fine, which I think is also possible. Who knows? Um, I'm just super interested to see how Maxi looks as the undisputed number two guy because the way he played when Harden was off the floor versus on the floor. I don't know how many perimeter players had such diametrically opposed roles and styles based on other personnel on your team who were on the floor. I would love to see him with more of a ball handling load. I think he could do it and and thrive in it. His shooting is proven to me at this point off the dribble and off the catch. And I just like, he does not fear big games at all. Now, he's wilted a little bit against the Celtics and their size here or there, but he seemed to kind of get by that even at parts of, uh, at parts of that series. I think he'd be really interesting. And, boy, if the Harden thing goes sideways, they are going to need a massive Tyrese Maxey season to, to stay where they are or even near where they are in the pecking order. Yeah, you go back to Ben Simmons' city out two years ago. The reason that the Sixers could afford to be as patient as they were in making that deal and waiting out Harden was because of the largely because of the fact that Maxi was stepping up into a much larger role in his second season. So we'll see if there's another leap like that. I mean, I think you know the the playmaking element. If he were their lead playmaker in that no Harden scenario, is really what would be fascinating to see for me. Rapid fire, R.J. Barrett, Colin Sexton, Franz Wagner. I'm not that intrigued by Franz Wagner because I think he's just going to be a flat-out star. Anthony Simons, Rui Hachimura, was it all a fluke, jump-shooting fluke? Onyeka Kongwu, Jonathan Kaminga. And I'm so intrigued that he's getting his own column, Jalen Green. Okay, he was one of the people I had pegged for you, too. He's getting his own standalone uh, standalone column about him and the Rockets. And I mentioned Trey Murphy, the third, I think um, that's, that's the full, that's the full long list. Um, oh, I did forget one guy, Deandre Ayton. Thoughts. Considered him. I, 
I'm skeptical. I'm so skeptical on the the positive scenario that that's part of why he's not that intriguing to me. I suppose he's situationally intriguing to me because very clearly things went sideways for DeAndre Ayton with not just Monty Williams with lots of people within the Suns. As I've said before, the players on the floor did not hide their frustration with him. Um. He did not uh, finish game seven against Dallas two seasons ago. He did not play in game six against the Nuggets last year with a rib injury. Um, I I think at least some corners of the organization were surprised that he didn't play that game. Um, All that said, Frank, one of Frank Vogel's first job was salvaging the teams, rebuilding the team's trust and relationship with DeAndre Ayton and vice versa. And I think the Suns have zero path to winning the title if they don't achieve that or flip DeAndre Ayton into a legitimate starting center who can it who can bring some different things to the table and hold their defense together. I, I just I, I'm I, this is not to overrate DeAndre Ayton. I just think they need stability in that position, some method of achieving a good defense. And I'm sort of more intrigued by how they resolve this situation than by Aiton himself, because I don't think he's going to magically transform into like he's going to eat the rim and get to the line eight times a game and start shooting threes. I, I just think he needs to do what he does and do it well. And it's unclear to me if that's possible for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I mean, we already have the template. It's the 2021 playoff run. That's that's what they need from Aiton if, if he can do that again. I they're different players and at different stages of their career, but the way that Vogel is coming in, approaching Aiden reminds me a little of when Doc Rivers took over as the Clippers coach and started talking up DeAndre Jordan as defensive player of the year. And, you know, really Wasn't kinda... Bill Russell's name mentioned at some point in that I don't talking know, that, up. That could have been Tom Heinsohn and Greg Steams. So that might be what you're thinking of. I don't remember. It's, it's a long time ago. Doc Rivers first year with the Clippers feels like a long time ago. It sure um, does. Shifting gears, Damian Lillard still has not been traded. We've done this ad nauseum, Miami, all the other teams. You got you were part of a piece uh, last week at ESPN, theoretical Damian Lillard trades to the Heat and elsewhere, and there were four trades, and the elsewhere were New Orleans, um, who am I forgetting? New Orleans, Toronto, Philadelphia. and Philadelphia. Uh, I think. And Woj has reported that Portland has been doing more talking since the calendar turned to September after a largely dormant summer. I don't I don't know how much, if any, of that talking has been with Miami. I, I don't think much at all, if any, uh, which has naturally led to speculation about some of these other teams. Andrew Lopez and I are going to talk about New Orleans and why I don't think that's a match. Um, I've talked about Brooklyn. I think that would be a healthy debate in that organization. I don't think they've been active. I saw Chris Mannix mention Oklahoma City as a possibility down the line. I mean, with Shea, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know anything. I mean, Oklahoma City can do anything. Spurs and Jazz have been mentioned as sort of the rebuilding teams. I, I've report, I've said before, I, I, I don't sense that either of them have been super involved. Uh, Knicks, everyone's going to mention the Knicks. I continue to just think I'm saving my chips for other stuff. And by the way, hovering over all of this is Giannis's comments last week, reiterating. You know, 
if I don't sense that the Bucks are all in on winning, I'm not I'm not going to end my career here necessarily. I think other teams have at least started to have some of these teams with assets have at least started to have the conversation of, wait a second, if we think we have any chance of being in the ball game, if and if that actually comes to pass, and there is no guarantee, Bucks fans, that it comes to pass at all, it could end up beautifully for Milwaukee. They could win the title, they could stay, whatever. Do we need to keep our powder dry? Boston has been mentioned for damn. I don't see that one. So my challenge to you was this. Is there a Toronto Raptors deal for Damian Lillard that makes sense to you? So my fundamental position is we talked about the last time I was on this back in July is that it with the length and size of Damian Lillard's contract, it only makes sense to trade for him if you have a legitimate chance of winning the championship in the next two seasons. And my list for that has been, and the reason I picked Philly in that column, even though I, I certainly think it's an extreme long shot, is Miami, Boston, Philadelphia are the three teams that you put Damian Lillard on those teams. You know, they have a legitimate chance to win and it improves their chances of winning, I guess, in the case of, you know, Boston in particular, who already I just picked as the favorite in the East. Toronto, I think if there is a path, number one, Siakam has to be the player who goes out in return, which presumably necessitates a third team. I don't think Siakam makes a ton of sense. As, why you know, why does he have to be the player that goes out? Because I, I don't think he fits particularly well with Dame in terms of you're going to have now, you know, Scotty Barnes and him is guys who are better with the ball in their hands, playing with the best pick and roll point guard in the league. And then salary wise, just like that 37 million suddenly fits rather nicely against Lillard's 46 million. You know, Toronto could do it with Siakam and Thaddeus Young as the matching salary. And that would potentially make them a pretty deep team while also upgrading their star talent. And then obviously, so from Portland's standpoint, it'd be whatever you get from the third team that, you know, you go back to the Siakam trade talks from the summer and then draft picks from Toronto. Toronto owes that pick to the Spurs top six protected. That's somewhat troublesome. They can only trade two firsts. If that's interesting, I assume that Siakam would have to stay as part of a win now team around Dame. I also have already started wondering, you know, Siakam is on an expiring deal. There was little burblings of trade rumors over the summer. Not little. They got loud. And now I wonder is like, we think we have any shot at Giannis at all, like 1%, 2%. Like, is he going to want Siakam to be here if, if he ends up wanting to ever come here? Um, I assumed Anunobi would be the one that Portland would want. I guess I was thinking more two-team trade than three-team trade. Um, and then I can pile up, like, Mary, maybe Gary Trent comes in the deal and maybe Portland can reroute him as part of a separate trade. And then one more matching salary and we're there. Um, maybe I have to get Grady Dick. If I'm Portland in in that scenario, and and like, then I, I then I just I, I don't think Toronto would consider moving Scotty Barnes in a Damian Lillard trade. I, 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 maybe they will blow me away and prove me wrong. If you didn't want to move him from KD, I'm not sure you're going to move him for Damian Lillard. That leaves me with like Lillard, Barnes, Siakam, somebody in the starting five at power forward, and Pirtle, and like not that deep of a bench. Um, Schroeder would still be around. McDaniel's maybe Precious Achua. I'm not sure that's good enough. I'm just not sure that's good. Like, I don't, I focused on Anunobi deals more than Siakam deals. I just am not sure the team I'm left with is quite good enough for me to do it. 
especially if it's going to cost me all the draft equity I have left and take me out, therefore, of other things that may or may not come up in the future. Yeah, I mean, that's that's why Toronto wasn't on my list of threes. I, I think that if it's that Siakam version and then you've got a starting lineup of Dame, Trent, Anunoby, Barnes, Pirtle, like that's pretty balanced. They've still got decent depth. You you could talk me into them having a chance in the East, but I, I don't think it's good enough to, you know, Toronto has kind of been moving along without, you know, this has been much discussed, picking a specific direction. If you trade for, you know, Damian Lillard at his age, you're you're picking a direction, even though you, even if you maintain Scotty Barnes as your bridge to the future. I Is there a Boston deal anymore? Because Dame, Brown, Tatum, Porzingis is just so massively expensive over the next two or three yeah. years that I'm not even sure it's tenable. And I'm not, they can't trade Jalen Brown right now. They can't trade Porzingis right now, I don't think, because of the extension rules. I, I've never thought Jalen Brown made sense for the Blazers as the centerpiece. N- not made sense. He makes sense. He's a great player. I just made optimal sense for the Blazers as like return of choice. Boston's obviously got their picks, um, swaps. I just don't. It's a harder deal for. I, I don't see a deal there that I love if I'm the Blazers. Yeah, I think it's mostly if you're just like we we will not trade Damian Lillard to Miami and. You know, again, to go back to where we were in July, and I think to reinforce it, the the Miami trade is better, I think, than it has been characterized as. And part of the reason is, you know, everyone says, oh, Miami always finds a way when they trade away these future picks, they end up being, you know, in the middle or late first round at best. But if you've got as much money as they would have committed to Damian Lillard and Jimmy Butler at their ages... Now, I think that those picks on the out years could potentially be very valuable. And also, at some point, you have to consider Pat Riley's age. Like, how much longer is he going to be around to be pulling rabbits out of his hat with this organization uh, when they seem backed into a corner? So, First of all, Pat Riley would never cover his beautiful hair with a hat. Second of all, <laughs> um, I co-sign everything you just said and have been driving that bus for four months so or three months or however many months it's been since this all started. Well, if you're pulling the rabbit out of the hat, by definition, you don't have to wear the hat. Head. Yeah, it's on your holding. Uh, the other interesting thing I think is the contrast between San Antonio, and this is something Andrew and I wrote about uh, on Tuesday Lopez, on, yeah. on, on ESPN.com, which is kind of the Spurs slow plane after landing Victor Wembanyama. The marquee pickup of their offseason was a 2030 pick swap with the Dallas Mavericks, and. Portland has seemingly not taken the same approach to the Damian Lillard trade, despite the fact that they had, you know, the, the number three pick in this year's draft and the guy they're building around, whether you want to say it's Scooter Shaden Sharp is essentially on the same timeline as Wemby and the Spurs. So I think that's interesting. You had a, a resting rules take you wanted to, to, to unleash on the world. Unleash yeah. it. I, I think it is unlikely that the rest issue is one that is going to be solved through rules changes like there's just too much gray area in terms of who's actually injured who is you know healthy enough to play but resting that element of it i mean if you go back to the games that people were actually upset about players missing last season i think a relatively small percentage of those were actually characterized as rest or even the injury management that the league decided is allowed on a case-by-case basis 
you know, Luka Doncic did not play in both ends of a back-to-back for several months, the bulk of the season. And I am pretty sure off the top of my head that none of those were characterized as rest. Maybe a couple were in injury management, but it was, you know, minor injuries of the kind that affect every player over the course of the season. Now, I think what the NBA would say in terms of that is maybe we're not going to fix this through rules, but we already did a lot of the things that other things you would want us to do in terms of not having these marquee national games be part of back-to-backs when possible, uh, you know, increasing the the calendar of the schedule so that there are fewer back-to-backs, things of that nature. And now the teams need to meet, meet us halfway, I think would be the league's position on this. The other thing I thought I have on the, the rule is, uh, you know, in terms of a downside is I wonder if we have, and knock on wood, I hope we don't see this, a Kevin Durant scenario where a player suffers a horrific injury in front of a national TV audience and then says afterwards, well, you know, I didn't really feel comfortable playing in that game, but I wasn't able to rest it. What what happens then? Oof. Well, that's a downer of a note to end, to end our segment on. Uh, all interesting thoughts. I'm just, I just kind of want to see how how it works, and it could be much ado about not very much uh, once we get into the season. Uh, Kevin Pelton, uh, your work is second to none. You have the piece with Andrew Lopez today on the Spurs and Victor Wembanyama. I'm going to bring on Andrew Lopez right now. Good timing. Thank you, sir. I will see you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. All right, let's bring in our southwest division guru is it the southwest division andrew lopez live from new orleans louisiana how are you i i am good i am uh i like that i think southwest division guru i i want to i may have to change my twitter bio to that at some point today my division knowledge is is a little rusty is it the southwest division that the pelicans it is the southwest the division. that's okay all right it is the southwest division that is correct just the divisions just don't have the same heft in the no. NBA. Is they is like AFC East is like a thing. NFC East is is yeah. a is a thing from my childhood that is still a thing. Southwest Division. I'm not hanging a banner. Did the Grizzlies hang a banner? Did, I assume they won the Southwest. I would Division assume. Last year. I would assume they've hung a banner. If um, I owned an NBA team, none of no this banners, banner, no, no division banner, banners, no division banner bullshit. No like. No uh, John Bon Jovi, no Bon Jovi banners in the Air Canada Center or whatever it's called now. We're hanging championship banners, conference championship. You could sway me. Other than that, I'm not doing Southwest like Division it. champions. I like it. Only only winners. This is this is what we do. Winners are banners. You know what? No, I'm gonna go conference champions because it's hard to win a conference championship. That's a real accomplishment. Making the NBA Finals is a real accomplishment. I'm hanging a banner. For, it's but it's gonna be a smaller one. 
and oh, it's it going to be like in the corner somewhere. It has to be a smaller banner. You put it right next to your Taylor Swift sold out concerts banner. Taylor Swift has been a huge part of my life for the last six <laughs> months. Um, I said I told a uh, I, I was we I, I made the mistake of telling a twelve year old girl in a barbecue over the weekend that my favorite Taylor Swift song is Blank Space, and she like a middle schooler rolled her eyes and was like, "Oh, that's embarrassing." She literally said to me. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Okay, sorry. Okay. Um, breaking news on the podcast. Andrew Lopez, who has covered the Pelicans for how many seasons now? Um, this probably since 18 overall, since 19 for uh, for us here at ESPN. And let's be honest. You've been covering the Zion William, Williamson experience yeah. as much as the Pelicans. Uh, the, the star-driven small market team beat is a fickle mistress, and Zion Williamson is... <laughs> is being left, ditched. Andrew Lopez is moving to San Antonio to cover the new shiny object, Victor Wimbanyama. Sorry, Zion, you had your shot at Andrew Lopez. Sorry, Pelicans, you had your <laughs> shot. He's moving on. Everyone's got to move on with life. So you are relocating to San Antonio, but you're going to you're gonna still have Pelicans under your ladder, yes. right? Uh, as, as you can see, we are preparing for these moves, as you see these very, very bare walls behind me uh, as we get to do that. But... Um, Move to San Antonio is happening, I think, next week. I should probably figure that out. Uh, next week we're moving, but yeah, uh, San Antonio and Victor Wembanyama will be at the forefront of what I do, but obviously still covering Pels and doing everything else around the NBA that we need. But um, based in San Antonio starting starting this season. We're going to start with the Pels because they actually have uh, things at stake this season. Uh, I think the Spurs are going to be fine bringing Wemby on slowly. Uh, I think the reporting that's been out there that they're going to slot him in as a power forward and not mm -hmm. overtax him at center is going to prove accurate. And they will not mind having another high pick in this draft, which they will almost have by default, despite being fairly deep in like decent NBA talent. They actually have 17 guys yeah. with guaranteed money. Um, but in a Western conference where everyone up to and including even the Rockets is trying hard to win games, like by default, the Spurs are going to have another high pick to add to their bushel of picks so let's start with the pelicans who you know have some stuff at stake um last season play-in disappointment the season before frisky first round appearance without zion against the suns zion of course missed that entire season heralded mm -hmm. some promise in the wake of the cj mccollum trade extended cj mccollum extended zion williamson Brandon Ingram is supermax eligible, potentially, as Bobby Marks outlined. This team is actually $2.9 million over the luxury tax, has never, ever paid the luxury tax. Um, and in a loaded Western Conference, they have they have ambitions of doing stuff, and it's kind of time to do stuff. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for them, they just cannot catch a break, ever. Trey Murphy is out uh, probably 9 to 11 weeks now because I think a week right. has passed since the report with a meniscus tear. And boy, oh boy, was that dude poised for a potential breakout season. Talk about a guy, even though I think he was going to be slated as their sixth man, with his shooting, catch-and-go ability, athleticism, solid defense, really ties their team together in a lot of ways. That's a huge loss. And then Jose Alvarado sprains an ankle, uncertain for training camp. Um, Andrew, I just, I, I saw, I, 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 I'm okay saying this. I saw CJ McCollum at an event last week in New York. Mm -hmm. We talked for a little bit. Jose hadn't gotten injured yet. And he was just like, man, 
I just want 25, 30 games. I just want to see the team for 25 or 30 games. CJ, Zion, and BI have famously played in only 10 games together since the acquisition of CJ McCollum. 172 minutes. You know it by heart. They're plus 60 in those 172 minutes. Opponents have missed every three and mid-range jump shot in those minutes, so they're getting lucky (laughs) a little bit. But I I don't know where to start with this group because they, they, they need to make a push, and just right out of the gate, typical Pelicans, they're snake bit. Let's start one with Jose. Obviously, the the report came out about him, you know, having sprained an ankle. He did do that over the weekend. I think he's on like a scooter right now. He's he's got the, you know, they're doing all the process. If he for camp, uh, you know, from what I'm hearing, he should be fine for the start of the regular season, which is at least a positive. Um, you know, we're, we're what five six weeks away at this point from from actual regular season games. You know, maybe preseason he he won't be able to go, but he should be fine for the regular season. And then Trey. You mentioned kind of slotting in as their sixth man. There, there were some whispers that he could have been a starter this year. And I think if you want to make the argument that when even if everybody's healthy, that Trey's their third best player, I, I don't I think I would listen to that. Um Woo! I, Woo! so ahead of CJ, I assume. So you're sliding CJ into number four. I was yeah, and I mean you can make that argument. I didn't, you know, apologies to ESPN employee CJ McCollum. Um but I think Trey was ready to make that kind of a jump this year and definitely would have slotted in at six man, could have slotted in, um, you know, as a starter, if you wanted to move Herb around or how, how they wanted to, to to play around with that starting lineup. But that that was a big blow to them. And obviously him coming back from that um, has already kind of started, you know, started attacking his rehab. I think he would be on the on the earlier end of that initial 10 to 12 week prediction uh, or projection, I should say. So, but it, it is just, it's, it's kind of, you know, when, when the Jose stuff came out or when the Trey stuff came out, you know, a lot of Pell's fans were tweeting about, you know, we really need to get like a, like a, a voodoo priest to come in and like, just get rid of all this bad juju here. It, it's I don't just, know. I mean, how many times can <laughs> they overhaul the training staff, which they did in this off season and they still did again. like, I, I mean, it, it's. Who's, it's nobody's fault sometimes. It's just like right. just stuff just happens. And from what I heard, Trey Murphy just – the thing happened in like a totally random non-contact. They're just kind of shooting around in the gym, and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, something, something feel, doesn't feel great. Right. And, and it's and it sucks for a guy like Trey who had been making you know tremendous strides in his game, and, and I think the confidence in his own game uh, had been growing. But um, – as much as it comes down to what though, you know, little injuries, you you can the Pels have shown they can sustain little injuries or they can they can get by with little injuries. It's it's when something happens to Brandon and when something happens to Zion and when something happens to, you know, even CJ trying to play through things is where things get uh, a little dicey. And, you know, to CJ's point, like he told you, can you just get 25 to 30 games of those three and then you go from there? And I think that's, you know. You mentioned that there are making some changes to the training staff this year. That's that's the goal is you want to see these guys as, as, as healthy as possible. And, you know, that's going to be the key. Well, let's not bury the lead. What is the latest you have heard or seen on the big fella? So right now, big fella has he's made some changes to his personal staff uh, in terms of, of, of his strength and conditioning, and his training staff. He did stay in New Orleans a little bit longer than what he has normally done in the past. Normally he's gone and 
trained elsewhere for about a month, a month and a half. Um, he was at the facility a lot more this year than he had been in previous years. Um, they released some pictures of him, I think, a couple of weeks ago that kind of got got some fans buzzing a little bit. But I'm, out, has- I'm out on the Zion picture <laughs> Off-season and pictures. clip uh, industrial complex. I'm out. I don't want to see it. It's the same, <laughs> same thing with Ben Simmons. I'm out on the Ben Simmons clip industrial complex. I don't care. I don't want to see him. I'm not being mean about it. I just – cool, Zion did a dunk. And then there was a spec. Remember the one? There was a speculation. Was like, is the floor bouncy? Yes. Does the floor appeared to like descend upon impact. Yes. Like I'm not. I don't. Uh, how is he looking? Play? Is he playing basketball? He is. He was. He played pickup with the with the guys a couple of weeks ago. I heard um, the same. When when a lot of people were in town, I think basically everybody was in town. I think outside of, I think the the three FIBA guys, Brandon Dyson, uh, JV. So he was in town. He played a little bit of pickup. He's he's doing more with them than he has in the past. But again, this is going to come down to health. They've been doing this, a, a little bit of some different things, trying to get him ready. I know that's been a focus for him and his family, getting you know his his lower body ready, uh, you know to 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 play more than thirty games in a season. So I mean that's that's just where he's at right now. Something he's only done once. Uh, so far in his NBA career. Sometimes you say those things, those numbers, and it just kind of breaks my brain for five for a second. Like only when you said only done once 30 games, it's like, man, we've been talking about this guy for a long time. Are is the expectation that he plays opening night? Yes, right now. Yeah. I, I've heard the same. I've heard he looks rusty. Um but good but in spurts they're seeing like oh there it is there there's there's the guy who is a by himself in elite nba offense and i don't mean by himself to minimize the contributions of others it's just he's such an unusual player and such a forceful player that for instance in preparation for this podcast i was like let me see what the minutes have been and obviously any zion mm-hmm. sample is going to be small with herb zion and jv all together on the floor because I do think plan A for the Pelicans is to start CJ Ingram, Herb, Zion, yeah. Valanciunas because I, I, from what I've heard, they just they Trey can fit. I mean, Trey fits like a glove in the starting five. It's just a difficult conversation because CJ and Brandon Ingram are not coming off the bench at this stage right. in their careers. Brandon Ingram, obviously, he was like a borderline All NBA player last year, and Herb's defense. They just need someone in that lineup whose first priority is defense. And right. Trey can do that, but Herb is an all-defense level player. So I was like, let me look up Herb Zion JV because despite JV's you know flirtation with shooting threes, and he does it, there's not a lot of shooting or spacing when you have those three guys on the floor, almost regardless of who the other two are. 119 points per 100 possessions, which would have been the number one offense in the league. <laughs> the guy is just... He's not a bowling ball. He's like an atomic bomb that goes off yeah. in the lane, and there's just no precedent for it. And his speed, his explosiveness, his finishing, his ability to draw fouls, put back his own misses, pass out of double teams, do pretty much everything on offense from screening to posting up to running pick and rolls to just being a complete menace to society in transition. It's just it's spacing proof. It's scheme proof. If he's on the floor – they will have an elite offense or a good enough offense. And by the way, this team was 20th in offense last year 
and sixth in defense, mm-hmm. which kind of like the Bulls in the East who were fifth in defense feels impossible given the personnel that they played. And they did get a little lucky. I think they had the lowest three-point shooting opponent, three-point shooting in the league, but they forced a lot of turnovers. They rebound and they protect the, they don't protect the rim pretty well because they don't have a rim protector. They prevent people from getting yes. to the rim somehow, partly by allowing tons of threes. But um, it, I don't know that that sixth is like sustainable for them, but if they could keep it at like, 12th and get Zion off if 55 games out of Zion and have the ninth best offense. Now you're talking about a team that has a shot to make the playoffs. Have you looked at what their over under is? I have not actually. 44 and a yeah. half. They're they're in a bu- they're in a bushel of it's, teams yeah, with like Dallas and uh Sacramento, I think is only at 44 and a half from what I've seen. A bunch of teams in the West. And look, no fans of teams like the Pelicans in the Western Conference want to hear this. There are like eight teams who, if you told me they finished third in the West, and this is a team that was 18 and 8 to start last season, uh, I'd be like, okay, that's a nice season for them. Obviously, they stayed healthy, got lucky, got some breaks. And, or if you told me they finished eleventh in the West, I'd be like, Okay, that's kind of makes sense. I'm sure somebody got injured and some other teams were better than expected. Yep. Like that's the reality of the West this season. It's going to be absolutely packed and some teams with really lofty ambitions are going to look up in the standings in March and be like, "Oh my god, are we going to miss the play-in?" Yeah, and it's I mean to your point, I mean from from earlier, I mean everybody in the West except for really the Spurs are have ambitions to win games this year and 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 are pushing to to be in the play or be in the playoffs. And I think that's, again, it, and it, it has come down to health so much since Zion has been in New Orleans that, you know, Pels fans start to feel a little jaded when it, when it comes down. Every injury for Pels fans, they start to feel like, you know, it's it's the end of the world. It could be just a tiny sprained ankle for Jose that's going to keep him out. All right, he he's not going to be healthy at the start of training camp. But then Pels go back and, and remember, man, you know what? Maybe if we had Jose for the last two months of the season, maybe things would have gone a little bit different. And that's just how how much that, you know, Jose meant to the offense and how much just injuries have kind of taken out uh, expectations for, for Pels fans and how how much it's, it's just hurt everybody. And it's not just Z. I mean, it's CJ dealt with the thumb injury that, that it kind of affected him for the last two and a half months of the season. Larry Nance was dealing with a shoulder injury um, that hurt him. And then uh, the ankle sprain ended up keeping him out um of 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 the playing game. Obviously Brandon has missed time. Uh Zion has missed time. So it, it's a number of different guys who need to uh stay healthy for this team and to to make it through. And that, like you said, if if you look up in March and they're in eleventh, I'm gonna assume that, you know, somebody got hurt. And if they're third, I'm gonna assume that nobody did <laughs> and everything went right for a team uh for the first time in five years where they had you know, everything kind of breaks right for them. Maybe I shouldn't I say breaks right. But I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know, like, what a reasonable, ideal projection for Zion is. Like, you want to say, like, if they get 70 games, like, by reflex, when you talk about players, like, well, if they get 70 games out of LeBron, if they get 70 games out of AD, like, I just, I can't imagine they're ever going to get 70 games out of Zion Williamson. If they do, that's amazing. I kind of default to like 55 games. I don't even what is there a reasonable number on like he has no serious like miss weeks kind of injury 
if 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 he gets through a whole season without such a thing, how how many games can he actually play? So let let's I'll, for that let's go back to the second season. That's the one year he he played the most. 60, 61 of seventy two, um, and really he missed the last five with a broken finger that maybe he could have played on. There was like that freak injury where he you know I think he's going after a rebound with Kevon Looney. I mean he that was he was looking at missing seven games that season out of 72. I mean, that's, you know, we, that's what we've seen of him when his one healthy season. Now that's been his one of, of four. I mean, that it's not ideal. So, but I I think you can, if you can get, and and we can use the 65 since that's the marker for all NBA. Now, I think that would be, I think ideal. If you can get that out of him, if you, if he can put himself into the conversations for awards for all NBA and everything like that. I think you, you have to feel good about what his season has done, even if he's coming in at 65, 66, and he's just right on the threshold. Um, like I said, the one year he did play, I mean, because of the broken finger, he sits the last five or six. I think they were out of contention at that point. Um, you know, he he could have played, missed, missed a bunch. And it was just, a I think it was an ankle here or something like that. So, you know, small injuries for him. I think even that year it was a, I think he missed a game because he had a, a false COVID positive. I think that was an, an LA game. He plays the next game. So he has shown that in, in, in one season. So I think if you can get 65 out of him, that, 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 you know, new award threshold, then, you know, you, you'd have to feel pretty good about what you can get from Z this season and what, what that would mean for the Pels. Um, Trey Murphy and Jose Alvarado are, are probably two of their three most important bench players, along with Larry Nance Jr., um, Trey Murphy is really at the cl- one of the closest things to a six starter that there is in the mm-hmm. NBA when healthy. So those are, are big losses. Let's assume Jose is ready for the season, so it's not a big, big loss. Um, they actually have like pretty good depth. I mean, one of the luxuries they have in having these three guys in CJ, Ingram, and Zion who work with the ball a lot is they can stagger those guys really yes. aggressively, keeping one or even in tight games late, two on the floor at all times. So you don't need to dip into the kind of next layer of bench guys, but even that next layer of bench guys has, has kind of served them well at times. Like it'll be interesting to see what Dyson Daniels gives them in year two. Najee Marshall is just sort of like insert at any time you need anything. And he just kind of cuts and slashes and does defends really hard and like does his stuff. Um, you know, and, and the, the Hawkins kid they drafted, um, they're pretty high on. We'll see if he plays this year. They actually have, pretty decent depth top to bottom. They also quietly, because I think people have outside New Orleans have forgotten, have some very interesting trade assets that have become wildly more interesting in the last couple of weeks as Giannis Attentacumpo keeps hinting that his future at Milwaukee is uncertain because they have the right to swap picks with the Bucks this year, which is kind of meh. They have Milwaukee's 2025 pick only if it's one to four. And I, I wonder if they had to do that transaction over if they would try to extend that a little yeah. further than one to four. The Knicks have it if it's five to thirty. That's a sweet asset for the Knicks, who have a ton of assets too. Um, and the right to swap picks with Milwaukee in twenty twenty six and Milwaukee's unprotected first in twenty twenty seven. Plus, one of the most dastardly little pieces of business in the NBA, they have the Lakers pick this year in twenty twenty four, but. They can defer it, and I believe wait almost until the absolute last minute to do yes. so, to 2025, 
which is not only dastardly because they can see how the Lakers do this year and where that pick falls and short them the following year if they prefer, it also impacts the Lakers' ability to trade picks out into the future if they do defer that. Those are some nice little tidbits of pick equity. Um, I just don't know quite how they're going to um, unleash it on the league because this is not a market. This is not L.A. or New York that can sort of bet on, oh, we'll just get anyone in here and Mm -hmm. wink, wink. They'll definitely stay forever. Um, They have the Valanchunas piece hanging over them. He's extension eligible. Their payroll is pretty high going forward. Is he really the center that they want to pay? The guy that they were always linked to in the past was Miles Turner, who's now on a nice extension for an Indiana team that is looking to be decent, and I'm not sure they'd be in a rush to trade Miles Turner. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll see. I mean, there's a lot of questions. And then there's always – anytime there's, like, these reports that come out, Andrew, about, like, oh, some other teams – other than Miami, are kind of sniffing, investigating, <laughs> kicking the tires on, sending some texts about Damian Lillard. It always comes back to me. Executives on other teams are like, "We're well, here. It might be New Orleans. Is it New Orleans?" I personally do not see that for them. Mm-hmm. What do you? What have you heard? I if it wouldn't surprise me if they were involved, but as a as a third or a fourth team. Like that, that would be, I think, the extent that they would try to get involved in a in a Damian Lillard trade. They would try to maybe, you know, pick up an asset, do something here, maybe maybe get in and help try to facilitate something um, by by throwing an extra piece in. I, I do think how this season goes, I think, is going to dictate how they cash in those assets. Um, you mentioned the Milwaukee pit, which looks a lot better now than it looked maybe two months ago because of Giannis's comments. JV's expiring deal. I mean, you know, his extension, but he's he's only expiring this year. If things are are trending upwards and you get the before the all-star break, you get 30 games of what you see from CJ Brandon and Z. I would think that would mean you have a pretty good record at that point. You're at least in that mix in the Western Conference. At that point, do you look to try to maybe go get some rim protection? That could be something that I think maybe maybe if it doesn't happen before the season, maybe it could happen around All-Star. But again, that or around the trade deadline. But I think it all depends on where you're at as a team. Is is Z healthy? Is Brandon healthy? Is CJ like is that group playing together? And if you're, you know, in a spot where, hey man, going into all-star break, we're or trade deadline, we're fifth, we're two games out of third. But we're also two games out of being in 11th, which could be the Western Conference for the foreseeable future. Is that's when you try to cash in your chips. And I think, you know, it's getting to the point where you're going to have to cash them in. You don't want to just keep sitting and sitting and sitting and sitting. But it it may have to be a a judgment call type thing where you're saying, all right, let's, let's see where we're at in January. Uh, before we try to go make a move with with some of these assets. Now the Milwaukee picks are really interesting. I I already did. Shout this out, last shout week. out, Drew Holiday. Well, he's extension eligible <laughs> in February too. Um, I I did this last week. I, I mean, you can read whatever you want into Giannis's comments, right? You can I, I, you can put your head in the sand. You could say internally the Bucks have known all this. This none of this is news to them. I personally am. 
as a neutral observer, kind of alarmed by them from the Bucks' perspective. I, I, I don't think you could just wash them away as well. The Bucks already knew this. I think him publicly saying these things is putting an enormous amount of pressure on the Bucks this season. And that kind of pressure can wobble wobble some teams, a team that has been wobbly in the playoffs. Although I, I do think, as an aside, if you look at the Bucks' five playoff runs with Giannis, I, I think there's, there's this perception that they're kind of like uh, an unsteady postseason team, mm-hmm. an unreliable postseason team. 2019, when they made the conference finals, went up 2-0 against Toronto and lost four straight. I think that is held against them much more than it should be. To me, like, they were pretty early in their run, pre-Drew Holiday. Still, Eric Bledsoe was on the team and kind of flailing in the playoffs. To get that far and then lose four in a row to a team that ended up winning the title, I think that's like a fine playoff run. Yeah. 21, they win the title. 22, they push Boston to seven games without Chris Middleton. Those are AA-plus playoff runs. It's really the two Miami series in the bubble in 2020. That was an unusual set of circumstances. And last year with Giannis getting hurt in the first game, that's an unusual set of circumstances. That's just my aside. It's like when people kind of pigeonhole Milwaukee as like, well, oh, I don't know if I can trust them in the playoffs. I feel it too. And the way the supporting cast played last season was alarming to me in, in blowing lead after lead against the Heat. But it's really just those two playoff runs. But the Milwaukee, back to the Milwaukee picks – like, let's say they win the title this year, and the Bucks can win the title. And Giannis is like, cool, I'll sign a two plus one. I'll sign whatever. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, those picks don't look as good anymore. Like, no. we could have a win. <laughs> the Pelicans could have, like, a very brief window where those picks look as good as they look today. It's not guaranteed. It, I mean, the best, the best chance for some of those picks might be trade deadline this year. It, I mean, depending on how things are going this season. And I think um, – I think the team realizes that. I think David Griffin realizes that. And they know this isn't a situation where we're just going to sit here and just hoard these picks and and try to hold them until the last second or just make those picks whenever they come up. They know that they they need to cash in. And I think, again, it, it as as does everything with the Pelicans, it just goes back to, to health. And if they are a healthy team, they can use some of those and I think cash in this year. And I think that would be – very interesting to see what they could go get um, around the deadline. I, I, I think it would be some sort of room protection, but um, I mean, I think anything could open up and you see how the season plays out. Why do you, I'm interested in your answer as someone who covers this team day to day. Why do you think they're not a Damian Lillard team? I think because uh, to do it, one thing would be, I think they would ha- almost have to get rid of CJ in that, in that scenario, um, which I think would be weird. I think because of the money that CJ is going to make or that Dame is going to make later on, it's going to make luxury tax and everything a little hard for this team. I mean, this is a team who still, you mentioned they're slightly over the tax right now. I'm, I'm not convinced they will pay the tax this year. Oh, when you're this far, uh, over the, when you're this little over the tax, a trade is almost inevitable to get yeah, under it. You know, if it's, they have smaller deals that they can make. I think one, I think maybe even get like a Kyra Lewis deal would get them out of it with a, you know, you put a minimum in. Um, but again, if they are feeling good and they are healthy and they are, you know, top four in the West come, you know, all-star break, maybe then, okay, all right, we can go ahead. We could push for it. But I, I think the amount of money that Dame 
would make later on would would make it a little hard for this team to to, to continuously pay luxury tax and be competitive for a guy like Dane um, in a few years. I just think the numbers just don't make as much sense uh, for this team. And I can also tell you teams that are not Miami are a little bit worried that they would be a way station between Dame and Miami if things go poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, you you nailed it across the board. Um, Bobby Marks, I don't know if Bobby Marks made this one up, but we did a bunch of fake trades. You were part of it, I think, yeah. last 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 week um, on .com that are not Miami. Like, if, if not Miami, then who? And the New Orleans one had Zion going out to Portland. And we talked about it. It was, again, hypothetical, just blah, blah, right, blah, right, not right. a real thing. We talked about it on NBA Today, and I, I was the one who had to respond to the Pelicans' uh, trade proposal. They, they assigned that one to me. And I just said, look, unless unless I'm just out on the Zion experience, and, and the Pelicans do know more about Zion than any other team, I'm not trading young and big for older and small at this stage of Zion's career given that he's still kind of an unknown in terms of what his ceiling can be and what we can do with him if we can keep him even reasonably healthy. I just think to me, I just don't see a deal that really makes any sense. Yeah, and both on the court and, and I think financially, but I, I could see them, like I said, trying to trying to tag in, be a third team, be a fourth team. If this thing does grow to where, all right, well, this asset needs to go here and we don't want this guy, but we got to do this. I mean, that's that's where I could see them you know, being involved in a Damian Lillard trade. Speaking of teams with assets, uh, your new beat, the San Antonio Spurs, um, not only just got the number one pick in the draft and what everyone agrees is a generational player prospect in Victor Wembanyama, they have, deep breath, the Hornets pick, sneaky like they may not actually get this pick. It's lottery protected for the next two seasons and then it becomes second round picks. It's a dicey one. Raptors top six this season. Let's say they get that. Atlanta unprotected in 25. Atlanta unprotected in 27. Atlanta swap unprotected in 26. Bulls top 10 protected in 2025, and then it becomes top eight, top eight. I think they'll get that at some point. Boston top one protected swap in 28. Dallas unprotected swap in 30. This team is absolutely loaded with trade assets. They're loaded. They're as flexible cap-wise as any team in the NBA going forward. Um, and they actually, all the attention is going to be on Wembenyama. Um, I, I I love Sohan as a long-term fit next to a player like Victor. I am head over heels for Devin Vassell as a long-term fit um, next to a player like Victor. And, and they love... Malachi Branham, I think this could be a big year for learning what Malachi Branham is, whether he's uh, a hybrid guard, someone who can run the offense, and the offense is really kind of petered out whenever Trey Jones uh, sits. I think it's going to be a big year for, like, is Trey Jones a real starting point guard in the NBA, or is he just kind of, like, okay, can start on this team that's rebuilding, or can he grow into someone who's going to take enough threes and be aggressive enough like his his brother Tyus kind of grew into that sort of player to be a legit starter. They got some expiring contracts that they can use in trades, and expiring contracts are going to be really valuable or or more valuable um, than they have been in the past. Um, it's it's an interesting team, not just as sort of an exercise in building around Wembenyama, but I, I'm the, I'm in, I'm excited to watch them play this year. I think 
I think their starting five is probably going to be Jones, Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Wembenyama, and Zach Collins. That's not a ton of shooting in that lineup, and I would expect Wemby to... I don't think he's going to be a super efficient offensive player right out of the gate, but that's a, that's an interesting group, and they have some talent off the bench. Like I, I'm, They're not going to win a ton of games, but I'm excited to watch them play. And, and I, that's, I think, the, the thing that I'm most excited about about this is obviously, you know, it's it's been look when when Z has played, it's been remarkable to watch him every game. It's it's one of those things where like you hear about you know you go to a baseball game and there's something that you could see in a baseball game you've never seen before, whether it's like a scoring play or something like that. That's how I felt watching Zion play. It's he was going to do something on the court that was like you're just like so what what do you how I feel just as much about that as I do going to watch Victor, and I think there's going to be you know, there'll be top 10 plays and then there'll be plays where you're kind of like, all right, he's still trying to learn, but there's just more around him. Young guys wise with, with, with this younger talent that I think all of them have this chance to kind of grow together. And I think that's very I- exciting. Um, you mentioned them being very high on Malachi Branham. We, we kind of saw that in, in summer league uh, this year where, you know, all the, all the attempts and all the shots that, that, that he was getting, they, they know what they want out of him. Um Sohan, Keldon, John, like they have a, a, a nice little core that they can try to to figure out. And it's kind of, and that was the, you know, the article we we, we did with KP uh, about. Oh, know, that's right. I should mention you and Kevin Pelton have an article out today. Fantastic timing about kind of trying to hit the brakes on like, yeah. this is not uh, Tim Duncan, David Robinson walking into what is a 50 win team around them in their rookie seasons. Right. And both of those, I mean, David Robinson, when he walked in, obviously he walks in two years later. Uh, to a team, they go up by, I think, 36 games. Uh, and when Tim Duncan came in, it was, oh, David Robinson's got a bad back for a year. Let's win 20. And we win 35 or 36 games more. They both win. It was 56-win game teams both times. Two of the, I think, the top three increases in wins, um, you know, in NBA history. And the other one was when I think the the big, you know, the, the Boston Big Three uh, the first time around. So, that is what has happened. Still, never before. lost the playoff series. By the way, the Celtics' 2008 starting lineup went healthy. Has not has not lost the playoff series. <laughs> now Doc Rivers works for us. I can have Doc Rivers on this podcast and make that yeah. joke to his face. I'm very excited about that. I I am very excited for that to happen. I want. I cannot wait for that episode. Just so you can say that. I, I should have him and Perk on at the same yes. time and just be like, wait, wait a second, guys. Did you ever lose a playoff series when your starting five was healthy? I don't mean to make light of it. Perk got hurt in the 2010 <laughs> NBA Finals, and it was a tough blow. It's just small team, small sample size. That's like the Bulls. I'm so tired of the Bulls being like, well, when we had all our guys healthy, we went like 9-4 and four in a 13-game stretch in the middle of January. Like, we're pinning all our hopes on that. Okay, once we got Patrick Beverly, we were whatever and whatever. Well, now Patrick Beverly's <laughs> on your team. Okay, I don't know what happened. Turnaround is in the Spurs. Big turnaround. Going back, yes, back to the Spurs. And I think because of how they're going to play Victor, and we've already seen, like, I mean, at, on the Summer League roster, Victor was listed as a power forward. He was listed as a four. I, I mean, we, we he is not going to be the five, I think, right away. You mentioned that, that, I mean, that starting lineup, I think, is is what they're going to go with. It, it's it's just going to be, I think, fun to watch them, you know, it, how however they bring him along, uh, you know, I will say it's it's he doesn't have to play the 65 to win rookie of the year. That's not a requirement for the rookie of the year award. So if they if he plays less than that, that's fine. He can still win the award. There's there's different things they can do, I think, with him this year. And I think 
it, it's it's going to be fun to watch Pop try to figure out how all of these young guys are going to fit together in all these different pieces that I think you have. And, and you know, with Victor, you know, it, it's it's you're going to positionless basketball with the guys that you have around him. And it's 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 trying to figure out which of these pieces work where you have all these multiple guys outside, maybe Zach Collins, who can play, you know, a lot of different spots on the floor. And I think that's going to be uh, maybe the thing I'm looking forward to the most this season outside of just watching Victor do ridiculous Victor things. Well, I, I, I've said before, offense is going to, they're going to have to figure out how to use him, where to use him. He's going to have to sort of figure out where, where he can best assert himself with, you know, I mean, Keldon Johnson is a very assertive player. I mean, he he has been kind of the co-guy in San Antonio for a couple of years now. But I think just defensively, Victor Wembanyama is going to walk in as an elite defensive player. And I know that's like that is not typical for rookies, even and maybe especially big men. I, I think he's going to be an exception. He's just too fast, too big, too agile, too willing to, from what we've seen, to completely buy in on that end of the floor and do some of the dirty work. Rebounding is going to be interesting to see how he holds up as a rebounder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think as a rim protector, all-court presence, I mean, all-court, like, wrecker, he's going to be a very good defensive player. That starting five you mentioned is going to be a little light on shooting. The Spurs actually have 17 guys with guaranteed money right now, which means they're going to yeah. have to cut two guys before the season. And that doesn't include Barlow, Dominic Barlow, who's on a two-way. A lot of those guys are centers or... Um, guys who kind of play centerish, like have to play center as a role, Charles Bassey, Ken Birch, Zach Collins, etc. And when you combine that with Wemby playing so much at the four, Keldon Johnson is going to have to play a little more three than maybe would be ideal. Jeremy Sohan's going to have to play a little more three than maybe would be ideal, but that that's fine. And Sohan is a, is like he doesn't have a position; he just does right. what he does, and he's a he's a fantastic connector. Um, can I give you a, a Vassell stat? I'm ready. I just think people just ha- – because no one's watched the Spurs. I think Vassell's growth as a player has gone totally unnoticed. And I'm working on my annual five most intriguing players coming into the season piece. He's in it year to year the last two seasons. <clears throat> 21-22, he ran seven pick and rolls per 100 possessions. 22-23, he ran 22 pick and rolls per 100 possessions, tripled his pick and roll volume. <laughs> and his numbers in terms of points per possession when he either shoots or passes directly to a guy who shoots and, and broader points per possession, just the whole the whole possession, are, are pretty good considering the surrounding talent last year. And I was watching a bunch of film on him today. He got to the rim a little bit more. That was a bugaboo for him. Um that was a that was a weak spot for him. He he settles for a lot of mid range jumpers, but he's an incredible mid range shooter, and he just has a lot more craft to his game than I think people realize in terms of bobbing and weaving, rejecting picks, hesitation dribbles. Like you can see him exploring that part of his game. I don't. He's never going to be. I don't think like a number one ball handling option on mm-hmm. a great team. That's fine. I I think he is an absolutely fascinating potentially elite 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 like number three guy on a good team going forward and i'm fascinated by how extension talks go as we approach the october whatever deadline because he is extension eligible right now i i am keldon johnson's gotten a lot of the attention 
he got the Team USA berth uh, the last time around. Um, he is a very good player on a very good contract. His fit long-term to me is a little less clear. That's not saying that they're ever going to move him or whatever, but I just I love the way Vassell profiles on this team, and I, I don't think the broader NBA fandom has realized what that guy has done in the last two years. And I think the, the key there is is his shooting continuing to go up and his, it, just his overall efficiency numbers. Um, I think he was like 34 as a, as a rookie, 36, jumped to almost, I think, 39 last year. If he can clear 40 from deep, I think he f- just slots in so perfectly. Um, and his his confidence grew last year. I know he, he he dealt with injuries as well, but the fact that he is, you know, that, that scoring, he went from, I think, 12 to 18 points a game last year. His his efficiency overall, though, is I think what's what's going to be key, and he's gotten better every single year. And you know, slotting in in in, in the backcourt with a guy like Victor, you're going to have to have somebody who can make shots, and that's what he has you know proven that he could do last year. And if he can continue to do that, whereas his three point percentage continues to jump, I think he's going to be big. But it was, um, I think the the efficiency there is is what stands out to me more than anything else. I believe the new CBA gives teams greater flexibility in five-year extensions for guys on coming off rookie deals. Yes. Whatever the max amount of years I can lock him up for, if I'm the Spurs, I'm doing it. Um, someone actually, I was talking to someone uh, from another team the other day about Vassell. It's like I, I, I don't think of the league and teams in these kind of like these kind of terms of trivia and stats trivia but it was kind of sometimes like windy is great at throwing these kind of stats out that would that kind of make me pause this this person was like i think vassell is going to be their leading scorer next year and i kind of paused for a second i was like well keldon johnson got him by a couple points maybe a point and a half last year he got obviously this Wembenyama coming in I don't think that's I don't if you if we wake yeah, up I, and it, it's he does lead their team in scoring I don't think that would be outrageously like unpredictable I think that's a possibility I think yeah I don't yeah and Keldon averaged what like 22 last year I could see Keldon going down a tad just because of positions I mean because of where where Victor's at I don't, I don't know if he's going to average 22 I could see Devin Vassell I, I could see Vassell averaging 20 and being the lead he, wasn't guy. he at like 19 last year he's 18 18 5 I think 18, 18 5 last year and Keldon was at 22 so I could see both of them right around 20 and, you know, Vassell having some, some more bigger, some, some, some bigger games now because of, because of the shooting that would, I don't think that's far-fetched at all. Not at all. I'm super, the other guy I'm super curious about, I mean, Branham, I, I really like to kind of, he's got that staccato start and stop to his game. He's got a beautiful mid-range game. I, I kind of can project what he's going to be. I like him. I am just super curious about Sohan because yeah. You mentioned the shooting piece for Vassell. Vassell is going to be a very good shooter. He's an elite pull-up shooter already. Sohan did not shoot at all last year and was completely unguarded and can make up for it by being a screen, like embracing his inner Draymond, being a DHO guy, a screener, and all that. The shooting is going to have to be is going to have to reach a point where it's not a complete zero, I think, for him to really fit on this team. But in terms of cutting, passing, defense toughness um you know even toughness like at the last couple months of last season if he 
drew a switch or had a little guy on him, like he would kind of bully those guys toward the rim. Mm-hmm. It's not the most artful looking like one on one game, but it worked. And he's a good passer out of it. Like I, I don't know how high the shooting can get. I, I don't know if the Spurs can surround him with so so much talent in three, four years that it doesn't really matter. But that dude has a place and maybe a really big place on this team going forward. I, I just I I his skill set is really, really interesting with superstar level talent around him. And I think he's also he's been in I think San Antonio the entire summer working on his game. Every time you see Victor a Victor video, uh so he's right there. <laughs> I mean, they he did he got he got Victor to change his hairstyle of his. I mean, they he has been uh, around working, I think, on on and off the court on his relationship with Victor. And I think that's going to be key about how how Victor has kind of bought into what these guys are doing so far. But he is just such a I think a piece that just fits in a lot. Like I think every team would love to have a guy like him and, you, you know, who just kind of does everything. You would like to see the shooting percentages go up and obviously, but he has shown commitment to do whatever needed of him to do that. I mean, this, he was shooting one handed free throws last year and he shot them very well. But I remember when, when I spoke to him about it early on, it was, you know, he, he mentioned like, you know, some guys may you, you ask a guy that and they may, oh, I don't do that. It looks weird. People are going to make fun of me. And he's just like, Pop asked me to do it, and they said that was the best thing for me, so I did it. And I think that's that's the part I think every 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 coach on in, in the NBA would want a guy who just says, "Oh, I just tell him something, he just does it." There's no, oh, I don't I don't want to do that. I might look, no, he just goes and does it. And I think he he will find a way to make sure he is impactful. Um, and even if they have to kind of you know essentially have lineups where he's the five essentially. And have you know Victor as the four, and then you know guys who can shoot around them. They, I think they will they will find ways to to make that work around him because of well, just how hard of a worker he is. A, a guy we haven't mentioned and a really deep deep cut. You could tell that Vassell and other ball handlers liked being on the floor late in the season with Mamu, who's yes. a, who's a five <laughs> who can shoot. Um, and and to your point about inverting the spacing, like he's only on a one year, two million dollar deal. I don't know what kind of long term hope he has, but their search for a shooting five and Collins has flirted with being a shooting five. I think he kind of went back the other way last year. I thought he had a quietly a nice season for them as a bruiser, you know, interior guy. I think that's going to be interesting. And and I'll just say this: we saw it with the Dame whispers. I don't think the Spurs have ever really been in on Dame. I don't think they're going to ever be in on Dame. But just the whispers for a certain kind of star player, and not everyone is going to be like this because San Antonio is not a glamorous place to be. You're probably never, ever going to be the guy there if Wembenyama hits like they think he's going to hit. Um, for a certain kind of star player, that that situation with those picks and this talent is going to have an appeal. We saw it with LaMarcus Aldridge way back when, and now he was from Texas and wanted to go back to Texas. But I, I don't think they're just sort of this total no-go for superstar players. It's going to be the right kind of player with the right kind of outlook on life or someone who doesn't really care about market or whatever. I think this could turn into an attractive situation down the line um, for the right kind of player, but that is that is down the line. This year is going to be... Let's see what we got. And it's going to be exciting. 
I think it's it kind of reminds you a, a little bit of what Brooklyn was doing before KD and Kyrie got there. And it was they had kind of built it up and it's like, oh, this is an attract. Now, granted, it was still Brooklyn, so you, you still get to go live in New York. But these guys, these pieces have grown, I think, together. And I think you just have a bigger star attraction there right now with Victor, who if all these other pieces come along, then it, it, it's going to be the right fit, I think, for a lot of guys who just decide, hey, we, we want to go win. And it's, you know, this could be the place we do it. Andrew Lopez, um, good luck with the move. Uh, Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I hope you enjoy your new city. I think all of us will be making various pilgrimages to San Antonio this year. Uh, so I will see you in San Antonio, if not elsewhere sooner than that. Um, thank you for your time. Your coverage of these teams is just fantastic. The intel you br- bring us, the, the insight is is unparalleled. Uh, I appreciate the time, my friend. Thank you. Uh, San Antonio, send me breakfast taco recommendations, please. Please. Oh, you're you're going to be overwhelmed now with <laughs> with top, with San Antonio restaurant recommend. San Antonio is a good food city. It's a good food city. Uh, Andrew, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you.